Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am David Rothkopf, your host, and I am coming to you from the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK, where, in a secret, undisclosed location, we have gathered the gang together for an emergency episode, given that all the crazy stuff that's going on in crazy town this week uh, has led a number of our Deep State nerds to say, where are you guys? We need insight. We need sanity. And, of course, Uh, The best place to get that kind of thing is to bring together uh, some of uh, our core gang. So we've got Rosa Brooks from Georgetown University. Uh, We've got David Sanger from the New York Times. And we have Ed Luce from the Financial Times. And let me just go around and start with you guys. Obviously, we're talking about the reaction to the New York Times anonymous column, uh, particularly in the context of the reaction to the Bob Woodward Fear book, and in the context of the hearings of Kavanaugh, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Rosa, kick it off. Well, first of all, I would just like to state for the record that I am not the author of that op-ed. Um, well, <laughs> because Ed, everybody's doing that. Ed, That's you. You've lost the pool, Ed. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll <laughs> happily pay up. I'll happily pay up. No, that, that seems to be the mandatory thing that all the Trump people are doing today. They're all rushing around saying, it wasn't me. Uh, Mike Pence says it wasn't him, et cetera. Um, um, so I don't... We really had ruled out a number of those people because it had been written in complete sentences anyway. Yes, there yeah. you go. And and I know I know that everybody on the news side of the Times, and I'm eager to hear David talk about this, are are eagerly engaging in, you know, all sorts of textual analysis, sophisticated linguistic analysis, et cetera, try to figure out who the heck this is. I don't really care who it is. Um, it's not somebody I like. That's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, I, I, I do think it, it, the only thing that is surprising about it um, is just the degree to which it is is adding to this sense of complete meltdown, which which I think was, you know, we were already well into meltdown world. Uh, the release of excerpts from Bob Woodward's new book, uh, which which showed a president uh, who was being managed by a staff who, when they thought he was about to make a crazy decision, they would just you know hide papers from him, <laughs> ignore him, etc. It just it sort of became the final piece of evidence as if we needed any that this presidency is is completely unhinged uh, completely unhinged so david i assume you're in some room where you're doing the linguistic analysis rosa has come up to and you've probably ruled out melania because it's in understandable sentences what else what 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 what, what is your take on this well i'm speaking to you um, from our crazy town conference room yeah, I knew it. I knew the time. Renamed uh, for the moment. 
Yeah, until then, it's just been a crazy conference room, but now it's the crazy town one. Um, well, first of all, let me state the obvious because most a lot of, of our actually, you know, sort of understand the structure here, which is that um, uh, the editorial board does their thing, the editorial side, the opinion side, the news side does their thing, and we didn't actually know until just when it happened that the uh, opinion side was getting ready to go publish this. Now, I know there are a lot of people who won't believe that. They think the Chinese wall, you know, is actually something you can hop over easily. I've been here for 36 years, and I can tell you it's a pretty high and, and hard wall. Um, that, so the result is that we're sitting here doing the same guesswork that everybody on the outside is. And, you know, you can look at the textual analysis, and I've had in my own mind three or four theories about who it could be, and I think I've dismissed each one of them because of different paragraphs in the thing. I think you also have to leave open the possibility that this was somebody who was writing for a committee, that, you know, that it may not have, it, it may have had a single author, but not a single inspiration. And I think that's what really worries the White House right now, because, uh, you know, the best line on this belongs to the retiring head of the Foreign, Senate Foreign Relations Committee, who said it would be easier to sort of uh, wipe out uh, the list of people who wouldn't write it uh, because it's so consistent with everything that we hear in the course of that our would reporting. Be a short list. <laughs> it would be a short list. It would be a lot easier to do it that way. Well, that, you know, I think that is a, a key point. And, you know, as all of this was happening, uh, there was a very good column written by Ed Luce about the way the White House has evolved. And, and you know, it was in, in, in some respects, Ed, it, it's kind of like everybody described in your column goes to their own corner. You know, Trump sits up in the bedroom with the burger in his pocket watching television and tweeting uh, and stays out of everybody's hair. He seldom actually does anything or goes to the Oval Office. Everybody else tries to run the government as best they can without getting Trump too involved. And is that, I mean, that's what I took away from your column. Is that where you were going with it? Yeah, well, and I can happily uh, admit to authorship of that column in, in the Financial Times. Look, I think um, Trump's sort of great eccentricity um, and the reason why, you know, nobody um, other than Kim Jong-un uh, seems to have unwavering, unwavering faith in him, uh, including in his I'm own... Sorry, I have to bring you up to date, but a deputy foreign minister of the Russian government... Made oh, Really? I made a statement just in the past hour supporting Trump and saying this is an effort to distract from his economic successes. <laughs> That's I stand corrected. Thank you mm. for that. Um, is Trump's work habits? You know, whatever he could be the most conventional-minded, uh, um, uh, pro-American traditional values president. You know, we've had in a generation, but you know, a guy who uh, has his first executive oval. Uh, office meeting meeting at 11 a.m. and only has a couple a day um, and walls off more and more of his daily schedule for you know, the euphemism executive time, um, otherwise known as sitting in bed and tweeting uh, and barking at the, um, the plasma screen in front of him, um, is not going to command the respect of people around him. And so the more the more restrictions they put on who has access to the Oval Office and 
uh, and what what Trump gets to read on in, on his official time, or, or sign or not sign, um, you know, the more he uh, he basically just takes the uh, takes the job upstairs to his bedroom. So you're not going to respect him for that. But that's um, that's also the great. Uh, the, the great strength of um, you know what Trump sees as the latest deep state plot um, is that he doesn't have a command over the process that results in actual decisions. Um, he 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 thinks he's taking decisions when he tweets things or says things or orders Mattis to you know bomb the fuck out of Syria. But uh, unless those decisions are backed up by legal orders that have gone through interagency processes, um, you know, and have all the all the sort of I's dotted and T's and T's crossed, then uh, they're generally not going to happen. And I think that this event and this week's sort of series of bombshells is going to drive him even more into his paranoid lair and make him even less of a sort of efficient executive functioning president. That that might be to put too, um, too optimistic a gloss on it. But, uh, uh, I, you know, I don't think this is going to encourage Trump to govern. Well, let's let's pick up on a couple of those themes, Rosa. You know, the, um, what Ed describes, you know, you can read about it in different articles where Trump says, you know, the snakes are out there and he actually sees this as a deep state plot, and some wag has referred this as to this as deep state throat. Um, uh, and 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 you know the first thing we needed to do as a spokesperson for the deep state is to um, comment on the the notion that this is uh, a plot that's in any way uh, supported or backed by deep state radio. Yes, it wasn't our idea. <laughs> um, no, it's it's okay, interesting that, because be, well, because just one of the big questions here is, you know, qui bono, whose interests are served by the publication of this op-ed, um, and it's been fun and entertaining to watch all the various conspiracy theories circulating uh, on Twitter, um, but but the you know part of the message seems to be a message, at least to the, the GOP uh, traditionalists out there, of whom we assume there's still one or two remaining, saying, guys, don't give up on us. Like, we've got this. We, we, you know, like, don't worry. We know the president's a nut, um, but we're, we're, we're going to keep an even keel. We're going to take care of that. Um, you know, to try to keep people from sort of fleeing the party and, and you know, the claims in the, in the op-ed of, oh, there really are some adults in the room, um, which, which is ever more questionable. Uh, or, Rosa, fact, could but, this be an effort to stop impeachment by saying you don't really need to impeach? We've got this. Don't worry. No, I, I, think, I think on some level, yes, it's an effort to take the wind out of the sails of those who are saying crisis, got to have impeachment, this guy's out of control by saying, don't worry, we, you know, it, it is under control, we're controlling it. The, the irony, of course, and, and uh, you know, there's been lots of commentary on this by, my, by myself as well as many other people, um, is that the, the op-ed simultaneously claims that, oh, we're doing this to forestall a constitutional crisis. You know, we had a conversation about whether uh, we should try to invoke article, uh, the 25th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which provides a mechanism uh, for the temporary and, and potentially permanent removal of a president who is incapable of carrying out the duties of his office. 
Um, you know, the purpose behind that amendment was, you know, what if somebody gets really, really sick or something like that? Um, you know, and 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 is not willing to step down, but can no longer carry out the duties of the presidency. And and the op-ed says, oh well, we didn't want to go that route because that would cause a constitutional crisis. The irony is that the the solution the op-ed's author comes up with is, you know, instead of following the procedures, the legal procedures laid out in the Constitution of the United States for dealing with a president who's not competent. Uh, to, to remove him, you know, either through the 25th Amendment or ultimately through impeachment um, for, you know, bad behavior, we've just taken it upon ourselves to be, you know, we are a bunch of people who nobody elected have just taken it upon ourselves to, in secret, decide which orders of the president we're going to carry out and which we're going to try to subvert. Uh, and it's pretty hard to come up with anything more anti-democratic uh, than that. Um, I don't think this is the deep state operating. This is not the sort of permanent bureaucracy defending the traditional prerogatives of, of U.S. government. This is uh, this is sort of the capture of potential capture of the White House by a small group of people who are attempting to save their party by undermining their own president. You know, I think this is a really, really important point, David, uh, and that and Rose has put it typically sort of better than I've heard it put anywhere before. This is a kind of a quiet coup. This is a bunch of people who have power right now because Donald Trump was elected, who have chosen rather than to remove Trump, to remove Trump from the equation of power, to tell everybody else, calm down, we've got it, uh, and to seek to retain the power that accrued to Trump from an election, for their own purposes, and 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 to do so by allegedly doing something in the country's interests, which is keeping Trump away from the levers of power. But in fact, what they're doing is something different. And by, I would argue that you could extend this from within the administration to people like Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan, who have all said, "Yeah, we see this guy has problems. We need." the cover that it gives us. We'll find ways to avoid having him exercise his power and we'll get done what we need to get done. And Kavanaugh's a case in point there. And so you've got a, a, you know, a silent GOP coup within the United States government um, and, and, and it's now being offered up under the guise of, of serving the national interest, which, um, it may, but in a perverse way. What's what's your take, David? Yeah, you know, I've I've read the coup analogies, and of course, there was a a reference to that in the in the Woodward uh, book, which I haven't read thoroughly, but uh, made my way through a, a copy of the Times it obtained a couple of days ago. Um, I don't quite buy that phrase because it suggests that the power has left the president's hands and been transferred to somebody else, either legally or illegally, or if it's a, it's a soft coup, um, where instead, I think the greater analog is if you believe the stories, and they've been denied by some of the principals, that in Nixon's last days, there was an effort to keep him from triggering some military activity, using nuclear weapons, whatever, by aides who said, any order's got to sort of run through me. Uh, and the, the allegation was that Schlesinger and Kissinger had reached this, although Kissinger maintains that wasn't wasn't the case. And and uh, defense, former Defense Secretary Schlesinger is 
passed away a few years ago. Um, so uh, this seems to be more analogous, which is we're going to keep him from doing the outlandish things and instead are going to keep on the line of all of the, the uh, sort of more traditional uh, parts of his agenda that we agree with. And it was interesting that the letter writer went out of the way to say, we think that President Trump has done some good and named some different areas. Um, so then the question is, is restraining a president from, from, uh, from, from listening to the wrong voices, from acting irrationally, is that a coup? Is it a constraint? Is it what was done with Woodrow Wilson when, you know, Colonel House was essentially running the place? Uh, how do you define it? I think there have been moments in history where we've seen things that were similar. The problem with it is that as President Trump reads this, highly suspicious of all these people around him who he hasn't known for years, he is going to actively resist being managed more and more. And that the op-ed, I think, could have the reverse effect of what, what it was intended to do. Well, that's a point that... Uh... Uh, our guest from earlier this week, David Frum, made in a piece that he wrote in The Atlantic. Uh, but, Ed, I'd like, I'd like it if you would comment on this issue, too, because where everything David says is correct, you know, there's still more than two years to go in this administration. And the idea that somehow we should accept as the norm that the president is going to have some limited effect on this and a bunch of other people are going to who are not elected, who are, are going to decide when they want the president involved and when they don't want the president involved, um, and that we should be thanking them for making these decisions on our behalf, uh, does seem to me to be troubling, whatever you call it. Yeah, and he's uh, and he's going to become less susceptible, um, you know, to taking advice than ever and more. Um, beholden to, uh, you know, serpents and, and deep states surrounding him. Uh, it's interesting that um, Mala today has called in um, Jerome Corsi, the, uh, the author, beloved of um, conservative audiences around America, um, who's, uh, and if they've read one book this year, it's called Killing the Deep State by Corsi. And Mala wants to question him about his um, being a possible go-between Roger Stone and WikiLeaks, WikiLeaks and Guccifer 2.0 in the next, what we, I think, all probably rightly assume, sort of great um, sort of chunk of Mueller's um, investigations. And so that's just going to, to play in. It's a coincidence, I think, but it's going to play into this whole idea that there is a deep state here. And as David suggested, possibly a committee you know, of people. I, I noted that um, in this morning's Axios newsletter, uh, they said they'd been contacted by a couple of other senior White House officials who said, we wish we'd written that piece, that there are many of us, dozens of us around um, in the White House. Um, it's not sustainable and something that's, um, that, that cannot go on will end. Um, I, I'm, I'm no nearer to predicting when that will end, but I think this week has taken it closer. Um, I'm also no nearer to predicting whether it will end well or badly. Um, but as I say, and as I think in different ways, Rosa, David, and, and uh, well, both Davids have been saying, this is going to drive him further into his bedroom. Um, yeah, well, 
it's hard to imagine how this is going to end particularly well. Rosa, you've been our deep state radio arbiter of constitutional crisis, and you raised the issue um, uh, that we have not really discussed before um, regarding constitutional crisis, not of that, that one can exist uh, in the absence of adhering to the constitutional remedies that exist and coming up with independent remedies. Uh, and in a, in a broad way, you might say that our constitutional crisis is that we we have a tendency to ignore our constitution. Well, exactly. <laughs> and you know, there's the Axios story. Senator Ben Sass of Nebraska, um, uh, uh, you know, has said uh, in response to this that uh, you know his reaction to the, the Times column is that. He has conversations three times a day with people in the White House who say the same kind of thing. So, you know, this is what Bob Woodward has reported. This is what Omarosa reported. This is what the Wolf Book reported. Every piece of evidence, every story, hundreds of stories seem to say that, that we have this bifurcated, strange government described so well by Ed of, you know, a president and his PJs with a hamburger in his pocket watching TV and a bunch of other people unilaterally deciding when the government's going to turn to the president when it's not. Uh, that seems to me like pretty serious crisis. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, well, I mean, again, maybe this is just semantics. I'm not sure I would call that a, a constitutional crisis in, in any deep sense. It's a governance crisis, that's for sure. Um, I think in all kinds of ways, even prior to Trump, we had a crisis of democracy in this country, which maybe more accurately, I would say that we are we are not a democracy and have not been a democracy for some time and are getting less to be less and less of a, a democracy. Um, I think we have a crisis that in some ways is created by our Constitution. And I, I you know, I say that uh, advisedly, knowing that I will get lots of nasty grams for saying it. Um, but but I, I've said this before that that you know let's let's not act as though let let's be clear about what what good the Constitution does us and what good it doesn't do us you know that that the Twenty Fifth Amendment is a constitutional remedy um, sneaking around and subverting the president uh, however crazy he is is not a constitutional remedy the word constitutional is not synonymous with useful wise you know constructive or helpful in the long term however and we should be really clear about that um, there are lots of things that the Constitution lays out that I think if we were starting from scratch and had none of the kind of semi theological, worship of the Constitution that we are taught to have. There are lots of things in the Constitution that we would look at and say, wow, that's great. What a good idea. There are probably also lots of things in the Constitution, such as two senators per state, regardless of population, um, that we would look at and say, that's insane. That's anti-democratic. It makes no sense whatsoever. It's going to create an ungovernable situation somewhere down the road if we were starting from scratch. So, so to me, saying something is a the fact that something is a, a, a crisis of democracy, governance, and legitimacy, to me, that's more interesting and relevant than whether or not it creates or reflects a constitutional problem. And to me, saying that something is a constitutional remedy or a constitutional violation um, is, you know, is a, is a more technical legal thing rather than doesn't necessarily tell us whether it's good or bad or, you know, what the outcome is likely to be. 
Okay, we've only got a couple of minutes here, and I want to go then to the next stage questions here of where we where we go with this. And David, I want to pose one to you that's come up periodically in the course of all of this, um, and that is, what should these officials actually be doing? Um, and you know, have we finally come to the moment where staying in place and being an adult is actually not productive? Um, actually promotes bad behavior of a certain sort within the administration, uh, creates a sense of an illusion of, of security when, in fact, that's not really there either because Trump continues to behave um, in, in, in bizarre ways beyond the control of these people. And then maybe it's time for senior people in and around Trump who don't think he's competent to actually do what they're supposed to do, which is to stand up and say, hey, there's a problem here. And if the GOP on the Hill doesn't respond to say, well, there's a bunch of us that think it's a problem here and do it in a way that can actually affect a democratic process like a midterm election. Well, the problem uh, with this approach is that to get an individual to do it is very hard. It's obviously the end of their at least current career, though presumably they're on the way to a good book book and movie contract, right, uh, for the Crazy Town movie. Um, but uh, I want to play David Sanger in the Crazy Town movie. You can't do it. I, I, I want to do it myself. I, oh. You know, I just think I, I, I just don't think that, that you know, you've got the, 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 the personality, the inflection yeah. or certainly the looks to be able to go do this, don't you think? Sure. Yeah. Right. Um, so um, the um, the. Here's the dilemma. If you are in office, you're absolutely convinced that you're the last thing standing between the president and chaos or the White House and chaos or whatever. Uh, when we look back in history, we probably think those individuals weren't anywhere near as powerful in that role as they thought they were at the time. The only thing that I think would have significant impact on events would be a mass resignation like that. And uh, a bunch of people standing up, basically doing the equivalent of what the 25th Amendment uh, envisions, which is that the whole cabinet or a good part of the cabinet, you know, takes a position on that. That's not going to happen here. I'm not sure there are even enough people who agree with Anonymous or on all the parts of Anonymous's argument and would have the courage to go do it even if they did uh, agree. So then the question is, supposing Anonymous stepped out tomorrow and said, it was me. Um, hard to imagine that that would be more than a couple days news cycle and that the president would then sort of pick up and move on. And how many other times have we had discussions on this podcast about things that we thought were great turning points that we're now having a hard time remembering when exactly they were? Well, you know. Some of that has to do with our just aging process. I don't remember what we were talking about 20 minutes ago, um, but that may become a qualification for uh, you. You could be president. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> for being president of the United States. Just where I was going with that. Um, Ed, if you could speak right now as a as a spokesperson for the deep state here to Addis or to some other adult what would you tell them to do in this situation? I would, I would reluctantly um, tell them to stay in position. Um, 
as long as they feel they're effective in their position. Um, in the case of Mattis, uh, you know, I think there are probably some fairly credible, uh, some fairly credible speculation that, uh, you know, Trump is trusting him less and less. And if you look at the sort of content, the overwroughtness of his statement denying the Woodward accounts of the, um, the Syria bombing order that Trump gave over the phone to him, um, you know, the more, the more extravagant the denial, I think the more work that signals you've got to do to get back in with the president. So Mattis, I think, is probably um, hanging by a thread. I don't see, you know, what particular glory or uh, or effect. I I sort of agree with David Sanger here that uh, what effect you're going to have, you two days worth of news cycle. I mean, he's he's not Omarosa, you know. Mattis is a, an upstanding, you know, um, a figure five-star general, a Marine with extraordinary experience, and he's done a pretty good job backstopping uh, the situation with Trump in the last 18 months. But even he is probably not going to merit, um, you know, a, a, a sea change um, in how the GOP see Trump. Because ultimately here, what we're, what we're hoping for is a change in the behavior of the GOP. And so I would... I would uh, look to the electorate. Uh, here's a uh, question. Can I pose a question to all of you? Um, the thing that increasingly baffles me uh, is why it's in the interest of powerful uh, GOP actors, including uh, in Congress, to keep Trump around at this point. Um, you know, why, why do they not, given that people are peeling away from the Republican Party daily, uh, and that, that Trump, while he retains the support of a solid core of, you know, the sort of hardcore base, you know, they're losing independence and they're losing moderate former Republicans now, now calling themselves independents and Democrats. Why do they not see it in their interest to say, yeah, uh, either impeachment or, or 25th Amendment, let's get rid of this guy, say, boy, sorry, everybody, you, that guy sure was crazy. Good thing we got rid of him. Now we can get back to business and it's safe to be a Republican again. Okay, we've got five minutes. So, David, a minute? Uh, I don't think they're going to do that prior to the midterms. And I have my doubts depending about whether they would do it post-midterm. If, if there was really a, a, a huge swing in the electorate and they came to the conclusion that President Trump was a liability for them going into 2020 and that Mike Pence would be more of a benefit, then that might happen. But I don't think that they're there yet. Look at the silence in Congress on this today, even though, you know, everybody would admit that everything that you've read from Woodward to the letter is consistent with what we hear in our own reporting and what I'm sure people on the Hill hear as well. Uh, Ed, one minute. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, it, you know, Lindsey Graham is my favorite, everybody's favorite current barometer, and he's moving closer to Trump. And it doesn't matter what Ben Sass says. Which is bizarre, bizarre. It's really bizarre, but I think he's probably auditioning, you know, either for Jeff Sessions' uh, job or, or from D. Jim Mattis's. Um, but, uh, you know, Trump, Trump still holds sway over them, and, and the only real um, game changer is going to be a shellacking in November. So, Rosa, let me give you the last word and sort of turn the question back to you, because you have offered a view periodically that these people should step forward. And one of the things that we haven't really talked about here is that there is a window now of 50 some odd days uh, during which if somebody does this, particularly somebody high profile, 
they could actually impact the outcome of this election and in a material way, take power away from Trump by tipping the scales towards the Democrats in the midterm. Um, and, you know, particularly if somebody like Mattis or somebody senior were to do something quite visible on this front, I mean, it's only early September. What is the October surprise going to be? You know, if something happens like this a week or two before the election, it could have a really material effect. It could. I, I can't see someone like Mattis doing that. Um, uh, on the contrary, I think that uh, Mattis would probably regard that as inappropriate. I mean, his, his his greatest strength and his greatest weakness is that he's a, you know, he's an institutional loyalist uh, who cares about not about party, but about the institutions. And I think he would view that as playing politics. Um, I, I, I don't know. I'm not even convinced at this point, as, as David said, unless we had a kind of mass resignations that it would move the needle on anything that matters, including the election or the behavior of members of Congress. Um, so I think I'm going to duck that question. Uh, and I'll just, my, my last word will be, uh, <laughs> since we are supposed to be a foreign policy podcast, um, uh, reference to uh, what impact this is having on U.S. global reputation and ability to accomplish anything. Uh, my instinct is that this is, you know, once again, uh, you know, going to make it still more difficult than it already is for the U.S. to achieve any of its objectives when it comes to foreign policy. Uh, friend of friend of the Deep State Radio podcast, Julia Yaffe tweeted something out tongue in cheek saying, you know, all I can say is that if somebody wanted to invade the United States, this would sure be a good time. Uh, and she's, you know, uh, we are, well, we it are would change the, the topic, <laughs> it would change the topic, but we are certainly conveying to the world. Nobody's in charge here. We don't know what's going on. And, and that can't be good for us in the long run. Okay. Let me, let me give us a 60 second button here at the end. Cause I got up following up on that. David, the president this morning, was looking for some backing and said, you know who really likes me? Kim Jong-un. Like an hour and a half later, the Department of Justice said, you know what? We're going to indict a guy uh, associated with the North Koreans for the Sony hack, which it is- was so, you know, it, was, it was like the, the entire Trump administration in amber for the day. It was exactly what happened in, you know, the Russia case where the president says something nice about Putin and then we indict a bunch of Russians. And basically, when you read this, the Justice Department, 174 pages, as I've had the pleasure of doing earlier today, what you get is a broad conspiracy to go find all different ways to hack into the United States, uh, just at a moment that, of course, we're hacking into them. But uh, here was the president completely divorced from the fact that his Justice Department was about to go indict Kim's intelligence agencies for um, hacking into the U.S., and he praises him in the morning. Well, there you have it, folks. That's Rosa's point in a nutshell. That's the point of Ed's column in a nutshell. That's the point of being in crazy town right now in a nutshell. You got a president. He's visible. He makes news. You got scandals. They're visible. They may not make any difference. And the government keeps running, for better or for worse, and not necessarily in the direction the president wants it to run. And so it sends a message to the rest of the world of, what the hell's going on here? Uh, we'll keep tracking it. Come back next week for more of Deep State Radio and more conversations on this. We're also launching next week, DeepStateRadioNetwork.com. Please go online right there and right now. Go to DeepStateRadioNetwork.com. Give us your email. 
We can still send you away to get a discount on Deep State Radio Network membership, which has a ton of benefits associated with it. All you got to do is go to that website and sign up your name. We'd love it if you do that. Uh, it's going to produce more and more uh, episodes and more and more content from Deep State Radio. And just in the nick of time, because things are not getting simpler here. They're not getting saner. Crazy Town is getting crazier. Thank you, David. Thank you, Rosa. Thank you, Ed, for this emergency episode of Deep State Radio. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you. Thank you, guys. No problem. You know, David, at Thank some point, you. at some point, the emergency sessions are going to become so routine that we're going to have to call them another routine emergency session. <laughs>